Hi, it's Randy Friesen, and uh, it's great to be with the Central Heights family here this weekend. Marjorie and I have been a member of this church, members of this church for the last 18 years, and uh, we have been just thoroughly impacted by this congregation, and uh, thank God for what he's doing here through this uh, community of uh, Christ followers. This last spring, uh, I transitioned out of my leadership role with Multiply, MB Mission, and I accepted another assignment with a ministry that I helped start um, some 20, uh, 26, 27 years ago. At the time, I was leading uh, Youth Mission International, which was a discipleship training program for young people. And uh, I came together with four other training programs for a retreat day in uh, Pennsylvania in uh, 1995. And uh, that day, the Holy Spirit met us in humility and repentance. And uh, what was birthed that day was an alliance uh, of training programs, discipleship and mission training programs. And uh, that has grown from five organizations to now uh, over 2,500. And uh, so there are many programs that have been developed all over the world, Africa, Asia being the largest regions, and uh, been invited to go back and serve as the VP for leadership development. So we're focusing our time uh, just in investing in the next generation of mission leaders. Uh, before we responded to this invitation, we began a ministry, Marjorie and I, last summer called Listening to the Word taking our morning devotionals that we send out to thousands of people uh, based on a reading plan that takes you through the Bible every year. So uh, we began that ministry, and uh, that has also been something that has given us a tremendous life in this last year. And we've uh, invested a little more effort in developing that, and it serves as one of the tools that we use within Global Disciples. And uh, we want to talk a little more about how you can develop rhythms in your life as a disciple of Christ here in, in uh, our talk this weekend to encourage you in your growth and your development uh, as you follow Jesus here and live on mission wherever he's called you to. I am uh, so encouraged with what God's doing around the world. I was recently with uh, Marjorie in East Africa and uh, on a previous trip, I was invited to speak in a larger church there in Nairobi. And uh, it was one of these churches that was started in a, a slum, a poor, very poor area in Nairobi called the Mathare Valley. And uh, this church um, began uh, in a tent. And so uh, they had to keep building the tent bigger and having bigger tents. Um, but when we got there, when we were invited to speak, it was, I don't know, some 20,000 people that were meeting in services every two hours, beginning at 8 in the morning, and it went right till the last service, I think, was at 6 at night. And so I was invited to speak at the 4 o'clock service. So I came, um, you know, not wondering, who, you know, wondering who's going to show up at 4 o'clock. Well, there was thousands of people leaving the tent, and thousands of more people coming into the tent. So it was this big kind of uh, stampede of people. But as I walked into that tent, I immediately sensed the presence of the Lord. And uh, I just, it was just 
so palpable. I went to the front of the tent to prepare for my talk and uh, I sat down and I could just, it was so strong, I began to cry. Uh, you can imagine just sitting there crying and I wondered, why am I crying? I was overcome with the presence of Jesus. The worship started and there was lots of joy and freedom in the place and, and then when I was invited up to speak, there was such freedom in the spirit to speak what God asked me to speak. And uh, I saw the Holy Spirit drawing people to Jesus. I saw so many people responding to the simple words that I shared and I realized I was in a space that had been prepared where people were free to respond to Jesus. And it was an overwhelming experience. And so at the end of the at the end of that service, I asked one of the pastors there, I just said, how does this happen? Explain this to me, what I'm sensing here. He smiled at me and he said, uh, you know, you should join us here tomorrow morning at 5 a.m. He said, there'll be thousands of people in this tent praying before they go to work tomorrow. And we do that every morning. And then on Friday night, we pray all night long. I said, all night long? He said, that's right. So I, I did go to one of those all-night prayer meetings, and it was an incredible experience. And I realized this church was introducing, uh, through their ministries, thousands of people into the kingdom of God because they were pursuing the presence of the Lord. In this incredibly poor community, their most valuable commodity, their most valuable item was the presence of the Lord. And I had to think, what would it take for that to become our most important priority? The presence of the Lord. How bad are we interested in stewarding, carrying the presence of the Lord? Well, you say, I, I'm a Christian, so am I. That doesn't mean you're growing in your experience of the presence of the Lord. Don't take that for granted. What I want to share with you here this uh, today is a number of rhythms that will help you cultivate the presence of Jesus in your life, resulting in not just greater intimacy with Jesus, but greater fruitfulness in your life as a disciple. Jesus said it's our fruitfulness that will testify that we're disciples of him. And uh, the world's going to see the fruitfulness in our lives and they will be pointed, directed at Jesus. These rhythms, practices, are based on the first fruits principle, which invites us to give God our best. Give him the best of your resources, give him the best of your time, give him your very best. Are you ready? First rhythm, first hour, first hour. Give God the first hour of your day. You say, I can't give him first hour, I got too much going on. Okay, give him first half hour. Half hour sounds like a lot. If you begin with the Word of God and you invite the Spirit to speak to you through God's Word, 
you're gonna begin to hear from the Holy Spirit through the Word of God. And uh, this is a practice that I've had in my life for many, many years. And uh, there's a couple of secrets I wanna give you here today. One is we read not for information, we read for impartation. We read for, for the Lord to speak to us and personally apply his word to our lives. You say, how that, how's that possible? The Holy Spirit, who inspired God's word, still speaks that word to the hearts of Christ's disciples today. And if your ears are open, if our ears are open to listen, like one being taught, which is what Isaiah says in Isaiah 50, Awaken my ears to listen like one being taught. The key to an instructed tongue, Isaiah says, is an awakened ear. So if we're going to be able to speak the heart of God and speak with words that are life-giving, we have to first open our ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to us. And the best way to learn that is through listening to the Word of God. Listening. Not just speaking, not just reading, but listening to the Word of God. Now here's what I do in the morning. I've got my Bible, I've got a, a notebook, I've got a pen, and I've got a quiet place. I like to make a nice cup of coffee, sit down, and I invite the Lord to speak to me. Then I begin my systematic reading. I don't go to my favorite chapters in Psalms or Proverbs or wherever. I read the Bible systematically, Old Testament, New Testament, right through every year. And again, you could join us at the listeningtotheword.com website and sign up and get this into your inbox every morning. And uh, you can also get it on the YouVersion Bible app. If you look at plans on that YouVersion Bible app, whole Bible, just type in the search query, type in listening to the word, and you'll find our, our reading plan there. And you'll join thousands of people who are on that plan with us. So I got this Bible, notebook, pen, I begin reading. And I read until I hear from the Lord. Now you say, what does that mean? I, I read until I hear a, a nudging or prompting in my spirit that just causes me to stop. And I'll read that passage or that verse again. And often the Holy Spirit will ask me this question. Randy, are you listening? And that question, I don't know how many times I've heard that question, thousands of times. And I come to attention in my spirit, and I say, yes, Lord, I'm listening. And then he'll ask me a question based on that text. And that question will unlock or open up some revelation that's important for me that day. This morning I was in 1 Chronicles uh, chapter 12. It's the story of all kinds of mighty men leaving their various homes and communities and tribes, including relatives of Saul. They're leaving their communities to join David, who's an outlaw in the community of Ziglag in the desert. And as I was reading that story this morning, the Lord just prompted me. And he asked me this simple question, are you willing to leave the safety and security of your current circumstance, your home, and go where I call you to go. And I was reminded of Hebrews 13, verse 13, that says, we're to go to Jesus outside the city, 
being willing to endure the disgrace that he endured. And it's this little reference in Hebrews 13, which speaks of us being courageous enough to go to Jesus when others are preoccupied with their own uh, safety, security, or whatever. And as disciples, you know, that's Christ's invitation. Will you leave? Will you, will you leave your home, your father, your mother, your family? Will you leave whatever's holding on to you, and will you follow me? So that was my thought this morning. I'm still chewing on it. And then I chew on that thought through the rest of the day. So when I have this thought, this question, I write it down on my journal. I write down the verse, and then I'll write down what the Lord is saying to me, and then I'll write down how to apply it to my life, and then I'll write down a little prayer of response. So that's one page of my journal. And I've got literally thousands and thousands of journal pages. And what you read when you go on the website or when you get that morning email from us is what I've, what I've written down in my own quiet time and encouragement to you to write down what the Lord gives you in your quiet time. So this is a, a, a rhythm, a practice that I commend to you listening to the word. So first hour, first hour of the day. And if we give God that first hour, I believe it will shape uh, our character, it'll shape our capacity to hear from God and then obey Him. Now some of you are like, I'm not morning, I'm not a morning person. Okay, I challenge you to give God the last hour of the day. When it's all quiet, and you like that quiet, uh, you know, hour late at night, give God that hour and invite Him to speak to you. Your life will be impacted and transformed through following that rhythm. Secondly, first day. First day. Give God the first day of the week. Now in the Old Testament we have the practice of the Sabbath, which was the last day of the week, and the church has practiced the first day of the week, which is the Lord's Day. We set that day aside and we've remembered Christ's resurrection, but we've also remembered He's the Lord of the Sabbath, and uh, we, we give him one day a week for worship, for rest, for restoration. And in the Old Testament, this was a commandment. In the New Testament, I would say it's an invitation. But we, um, yeah, we avoid the Sabbath to our peril. And I have to confess here that this is probably one of the rhythms that I struggle with the most because I'm often working on weekends. I'm speaking at some church or conference or event and then I do my regular work through the week and I miss a Sabbath and I have to confess I have done that many times and uh, you think you can get away with it but your soul gets lean. Your soul gets tired. And eventually you run out of gas. And you end up having a bunch of Sabbaths in a row, usually lying down in bed. And you're sick or you're burned out. And eventually the Lord gets, he gets his time with you, but it's not the most enjoyable. So a much better rhythm is to take a day 
one day a week, the first day of the week, and give it to the Lord. You know, in the, um, in the Genesis account, it says, on the seventh day he rested from all his work. Then the Lord blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So here's the creator of the universe resting. If God has to rest, who do we think we are that we don't have to rest? There's another word that's helpful for me in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, and it speaks of God placing Adam or resting Adam in the garden with him. And uh, that's the word nuach. And nuach is this interesting word where God is saying, I have placed Adam in this prepared space called Eden, and he's at rest with me. This points me to Hebrews chapter 4, which talks about the Sabbath rest for the people of God. Now again, you might say, well, we're not Old Testament Jews, and so we don't need to practice Sabbath. But there's something deeper than just the literal practice of the Sabbath in this text. It speaks of a, a quality of relationship with God where we rest from our own labors. We rest from trying to figure out how to solve the problems of life ourselves. We rest from this need to constantly have more, bigger, better, faster. And we come to a place of surrender in our spirit. And we say, God, you're our source. You're our provision. And we rest in you. Everything we've got, we give to you. And in that surrender, we experience rest for our soul. And so this is what I think the word nuach is pointing to in Genesis 2, and its deeper fulfillment in Hebrews 4 for those of us who follow Jesus. This uh, opportunity, invitation to rest, is more challenging today, where the Lord's Day has uh, been eroded, and many of us find lots to do on that day of the week. And some of us have to work on the Lord's Day, so we need to take another day, which is fine. Take a day. Take a Tuesday. Take a Thursday. Take a day and set it aside as a day of rest and rest oration and renewal and recreation. Let the Lord recreate and renew and strengthen you from the inside out. And you'll find activities to do that fill your tank and that you can enjoy with the Lord. I commend this rhythm to you and encourage you to invest in it. First hour, first day, first Friday. First Friday of the month, I spend a day praying and fasting. So you might not have practiced the rhythm of fasting before, but it's an incredible secret in how to elevate your spiritual communion and strengthen your spiritual health. It's 
the inversion of what we normally practice, where our body commands our soul and our spirit, and the impulses or needs of our body prevail. Um, our body says, I'm hungry, feed me, or I'm tired, I want to sleep, and our body commands us what to do. And so what fasting does is it inverts the order, and our spirit is now elevated and in communion with God, and we are subjecting our flesh, our body, and we're saying, you, be quiet. I am now communing and setting aside time for God and for communion, my spirit, to God through the Holy Spirit. And so it's a way of focusing and strengthening our communion um, with God by subjugating the appetites of our body and elevating the appetites of our spirit. Often our spirit just gets the leftovers and our priorities go to feeding our body and taking care of our body. So First Friday is a way to say, I am a spiritual being and my spirit needs food. My spirit needs communion. My spirit needs to commune with the father of my spirit so I can live. Fasting strengthens our spirit and we become strong in the Lord. Ephesians 6 says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And you might have wondered, like I have, how do we strengthen our spirit? Fasting is one of the ways to do that. Uh, John the Baptist was, was fasting frequently. He had so much spiritual strength that he was able to speak to uh, estimated hundreds of thousands of people as he preached a message of repentance and prepared the way of the Lord. Jesus practiced fasting, and uh, we know that before he began his public ministry, he had 40 days in the wilderness, and he was fasting. And uh, through that, uh, you know, was prepared. He was also tested in that fasting, as we will be. But uh, he was able to overcome the temptations of the flesh and the soul to uh, be faithful to God. And so in those tests, we find out where we are. We find out, are we a, a beginner or are we in advanced discipleship? And uh, if you fail a test, you get to retake it until you pass, and then you get promoted. Tests are not meant to break us. They're meant to promote us and tell us exactly what's going on in our walk with God. We've all been tested significantly in this last season with this pandemic, and I believe there's more and greater tests coming yet. And so these rhythms help strengthen us to endure, strengthen us for the challenges of living in this context that we're in, to face temptation, and to, uh, to resist the enemy. Fasting also confronts the lusts of the flesh, such as overeating, pornography, overspending. All of these lusts of the flesh are easily exposed when you start fasting. And you'll find out quickly what it is you need, to, you need to respond to and deal with in your walk with God. So if you're serious as a disciple of following Jesus and growing in the cultivation of his presence, fasting will expose what blocks 
God's presence or what hinders his presence in your life. It's one of the keys to spiritual breakthrough. As I said earlier, we were in Africa earlier this year and uh, throughout the month of January, every church was fasting, fasting for weeks. I know many of you joined Central Heights on uh, those weeks of fasting that we had here. And uh, I was so encouraged. I came to the testimony evening and just heard so many encouraging testimonies of how God used fasting to uh, strengthen and encourage God's people. Matthew says that when you fast, don't look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they're fasting. In other words, fasting is not to impress people. Fasting is actually to commune with God. It's between you and God. And everyone will see the evidence. If you grow in spiritual power and authority, they will see it. You don't have to tell them you're fasting. They will see the evidence in your life. First hour, first day, first Friday. First fruits. Give God the first fruits of your harvest. Give God the first fruits of your increase. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2 says, On the first day of the week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income saving it up so that when I come, no collection will have to be made. Now, Paul's raising money there to give to the poor and needy in Jerusalem. They were going through a major test. And uh, so he's, he's inviting the Corinthians to participate in this offering. We give for the ministries of our local church. We tithe towards the local ministries in our church. We also give towards mission and the global work of mission. But ultimately, we're giving to the Lord. We're saying, through our tithes and offerings, we're saying, God, everything I have comes from you. And I want to signify that I understand that by returning back a portion of that to you with gratitude. So it's an act of worship. And uh, I understand we're going to begin a series here. We are starting a series here on giving and on worship and stewardship. As, uh, as a discipline, as a rhythm in all of life. And so stewardship is an incredible um, evidence that we, we believe that all we have comes from God. I was so impressed with the story of Cornelius as I read through the book of Acts recently. Acts chapter 10, verse 1 to 4, uh, you know the story of this Italian general who uh, was stationed in Israel and uh, he had uh, a whole bunch of soldiers working for him, obviously. He's in this country they've occupied, and, you know, he's keeping the peace. And uh, he's a God follower. He's a worshiper of God. He's not a Jew. He's, he's an Italian. And uh, an angel meets him one day as he's praying. And, and the angel says, your prayers and your gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before the Lord. In other words, you, my friend, have got God's attention. And because you've got God's attention, he sent me here on a mission to speak to you. A man's going to come visit you. His name's Peter. And he's going to tell you more adequately how to follow God. 
Well, while Cornelius is having this vision, uh, Peter's having the same encounter with another angel. And the angel is explaining to him that he doesn't have to be concerned about the Jewish dietary laws. He sees a sheet coming down with all kinds of food that would have been considered unclean for a Jew to eat. And this sheet comes down a couple of times and Peter is clearly instructed, you know, don't be concerned with these dietary laws. In other words, what I'm inviting people to goes beyond just discerning what's clean and unclean. I want to give people a relationship and I want them to have life and I want them to have life from every culture and background, not just covenant Jews. And so Peter's invited to go to Cornelius's house. He shows up, Cornelius has been prepared, and he preaches the gospel and this whole family, this extended family of Cornelius's, gives their lives to Christ, is filled with the Holy Spirit, and a church is birthed there in, uh, in their community. Again, what struck me was Cornelius's gifts to the poor, his prayers and his gifts to the poor. This is before he knew Jesus. This is before he's filled with the Holy Spirit. His prayers and his gifts to the poor have got the Lord's attention. Who's got God's attention in Abbotsford here this weekend? Has your life, has the way you've invested and stewarded the resources that you've been entrusted with got the Lord's attention? Or has he just said, yeah, that's just a typical self-serving person right there? Cultivating the presence of the Lord is more than just going to church. It involves how we treat the resources that he entrusts to us. I'm excited about this series on stewardship, and I believe God's going to use it to strengthen us in our experience of the presence of the Lord. There's so much joy in giving when we acknowledge that everything we've got comes from the Lord. First hour, first day, first Friday, first fruits, first friends, first friends. Acts chapter 2 says, in describing the church, the early church, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. These people enjoyed being together. They weren't just religious consumers that came to consume a product once a week and then go home and live their own lives. They enjoyed meals together. They enjoyed friendships with each other every day they were together. And you might say, well, that's a little extreme. This was the most important thing in their lives. Their participation in the growing church of Jerusalem totally took over everything that was going on in their lives. Let me ask you, do you have intimate friendships? Do you have a couple of people who know what's going on in your life? And you say, what do you, what do you mean by that? 
Let's look at the example of Jesus. He had 72 disciples he was training. He had 12 that he was training more intensively who followed him around. But he had three friends in that group that he took with him into his highs and his lows. When he was on the mountain of transfiguration, he brought Peter, James, and John with him. And they had this incredible encounter with Elijah, with Moses. And uh, Peter was, uh, was a little overwhelmed by the whole thing, didn't know quite what to do. Jesus shared his spiritual highs with his friends. When he was tested, and the Father asked him to lay his life down, he was prepared to go to a cross and to give his life. He went to the Garden of Gethsemane, and there it says he sweat drops of blood. He was agonizing over what he knew was in front of him. And he took three of his disciples with him and asked them to pray with him, to encourage and strengthen him, Peter, James, and John. When you're going through your highest highs and your lowest lows, are you taking anybody with you? Does anybody know? You know, Ecclesiastes says that two are better than one. They've got a better return for their work. If one stumbles, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who stumbles and has no one to help him up. And the reason he's to be pitied is because no one knew he was stumbling. When you're stumbling, does anybody know? Have you invited anyone into your life at the level of intimacy that they know where your weaknesses are, they know where your temptations are, they know how to encourage, support, and pray for you. First, friends. If we're going to cultivate rhythms to know and follow Jesus, we need intimate friendships. Not 50 people, one, two, others who we meet with regularly. I would suggest meeting every other week. Every other week, maybe once a month if that's you know, all you can invest, but spend regular time with a group of people who you get to know and you, who know you, and you can walk together in following Jesus. It will change your life. You know, we had to discern some pretty big things last year, transitions, and I don't like doing that stuff alone. I, I don't want to do that stuff alone. So I, I test transitions. I test discernment around decision-making with my friends. And I invite them to pray with me. I invite them to counsel me. I invite them to speak into, um, you know, discernment processes. And uh, I just am so thankful for friendships. At this stage in life, I can't lose any of my friends. I can't afford to make a bunch of new ones. And so I want to continue to cultivate and go deeper in my friendships. And I invite you to do the same. Now, some of us practice, you know, um, we have a lot of friendships, and we do sports together, and we do entertainment together. We go for dinner and see movies and do that kind of stuff. But do we have first friends who we take deeper into our discipleship journey, who know what's going on in our journeys? Just stop and just ask yourself, who would my first friends be? Write down one, two names. And if you haven't already, determine in this next week to spend some time with your first friends 
and ask them whether they're willing to take your friendship to another level and actually encourage and challenge each other in your walk with God. First friends are a great place to process what you're learning in your first hour of the day. The things that God's speaking to you, you want a place to share that. Share it with your first friends. They can ask you, you know, how are you doing in terms of taking uh, the first day of the week, taking a day off, and, uh, you know, being strengthened in your, in your, uh, in your emotions, in your spirit, in your body. Um, they can ask you how you're doing with tithing and, you know, are you actually uh, honoring God with what he's given you? Um, first friends can talk about, you know, issues of pornography in your life if that's a, a battle. Um, you know, we're living in such challenging times where there's temptation coming at us from all sides. And in the COVID, you know, season, so many people have, uh, you know, have just kind of cocooned into, uh, into patterns of uh, entertainment that are, uh, you know, not always edifying. And so who do you talk to about that stuff? It's an opportunity for us to process and pray for each other in our first friendship groups. Rhythms that cultivate the presence of Jesus in our lives and keep us growing stronger as disciples of Christ. First hour, first day, first Friday, first fruits, first friends. Let's pray together. So Father, we thank you that you uh, have invited us through the Holy Spirit to uh, go deeper, continue growing, and to evidence that we're your followers, we're your disciples by the, the fruit that is evident in our lives. And Lord, I pray for great fruit to come out of the lives of those who are watching here today. And I ask, Father, for the courage to start some new habits, some new rhythms, daily, weekly, monthly, that shape our character and ultimately shape our destiny. I thank you for the grace to start new patterns and behaviors, Lord. I invite your Holy Spirit to speak to us even through this presentation about where we need to begin this week. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.